Good morning, everyone. Hope you are well. So we are mixing things up a little bit um, because it's a real celebratory service. But if you were at the um, AGM on Wednesday, um, Grant really opened up this vision of what the series is about. And it is about deep clean. And at, in springtime, we're all about the cleaning. If we think of our life as a house, um, just getting rid of the old and in with the new. Well, hopefully not in with too much new. Otherwise, that's more things to clutter up. But you know what I mean. Um, but Grant also showed a wonderful picture from The Lion King. And in that movie, um, The Lion King, there's a scene right at the end where there's this dry riverbed. And there's, I think there's even old bones in it. And, and then the rains come. And all of a sudden, it just washes the old away. And that is really what we are, are wanting and hoping, not hoping, trusting God to do. Because we feel like he's really led us in this season. And so as we go into the series of Deep Clean, I get the, the honor of opening it up. And we're looking at new life. And what new life really has to do with deep cleans. And so um, Grant also used the word a spiritual health check. And he said that, you know, sometimes the elders are engaging in this. What does the health of the body look like? But today we're also going to be looking at our own spiritual health and doing a spiritual health check and going, what does my heart look like before God? And this whole idea of new life is really one that is throughout the Bible, not just in the, in the New Testament, as some would think. Um, but you see this newness from the beginning of creation as God unleashes this new life. And he looks at it and he says, it is good. And he walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. And you see the beauty of creation and everything that newness is intended to be. And then you also see that, that in the garden there's a break in relationship. And in, in a sense that newness and the beauty of it is broken. But in other places in, in the, we can kind of get an idea. When we see these words mentioned in the Bible, we can get an idea of what newness looks like. And so the first thing I want to point out is that newness is something that is offered by God to people. We don't create the newness. We are there and we take God's hand and we walk with him, but he's the one that initiates. He gets rid of the old and he brings in the new. And where we see a beautiful scripture is Isaiah 43. It speaks into that and it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And isn't it amazing that so many of the issues that we have and the breaks in receiving the news actually because of what we feel our past looks like. And then it says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And so in that scripture, it's going, it's God speaking. He's saying, I, I am the one who opens up. I make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And the beauty of that image too is there's no place too barren for God to make a way. But it's his initiation. Then we see that the newness isn't just a once-off event. And I think that's something that Christians can often get wrong. I step into this new life in Christ, new, and then after I've been a Christian for 20 years, it's not new anymore. It's lost its novelty and I've just got to slog along. And that's not what faith is meant to look like. It's a newness that we walk in. So Lamentations 3 speaks into that. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. There's this picture of new every morning. Every day, there's newness for us, once again, from God's hand. And then we see that ultimately all things will be made new. That is part of God's design. And we see that in Revelation when we hear the voice of God say in Revelation 21 verse 5, He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And I love that that is trustworthy and true. We can hold on to it. Um, I was listening to a great audio book and the guy was saying, you know, there is no zombie apocalypse. I think we have so much fear around everything that is going to happen and what's going to kind of get us in the end. And what he says is God is making everything. Well, he's got and he calls it Eden glory, restoring it. But that is what we hold on to. But these are trusted and true words. They are faithful and true. He is making everything new. And one day that new will never be interrupted again. That is such a beautiful hope that we have. But when I was looking for a verse just to even anchor my own thoughts as I was preparing, I went back um, to my childhood and I grew up in a Baptist church and they were great at teaching the word. But there was what we in those days used to call a happy clappy church down the road. And I would occasionally go there because their worship was awesome and they just seemed to love Jesus so much. Um, and they were, they were, it was called the Faith Tabernacle. I think it was the Assemblies of God Church. And what else? the other thing I loved about them is that they had these postcards with Bible verses on that were free in the foyer. And so as a young girl, I had many postcards on my wall from Faith Tabernacle with beautiful scriptures. But my favorite one was a colorful verse um, from Romans 6 verse 4. And it says, walk in newness of life. Now, the NIV actually, in a sense, I feel waters down that scripture because it speaks about just new life, almost like with a bit of a full stop. But if you go back to the original Greek, it's more like in newness of life should walk. That is what we should be doing or walk in newness of life. It's a, it has this picture, um, and this is actually interesting because in the scripture, if you look at the whole chapter, It's speaking about baptism, and we're going to be celebrating baptisms later. And so it's so beautiful and fitting that it's part of the service. Um, But it's that burial and the death, and the old is gone. And you're acting out and accepting what Christ has done, but you walk out with the new, and then you walk in newness of life. But the old has gone. And if you think about it in context of of nearly having died, and you, if you think of, or if you know someone who's conquered a life-threatening illness, or maybe you've seen a movie, and all of a sudden, someone's had this near-death experience, and everything seems so beautiful. The sky is blue. All of a sudden, you can hear the birds chirping, and the rain falling, and everything is wonderful. And that is that image of walking with Christ in newness of life. Everything is alive, and I walk in the state because I was dead, and now I'm alive. And this isn't dependent on how long you've been a Christian. It's not dependent on how terrible your story was before you became a Christian, because that is you. It's about what God has done. So you might have accepted Christ as a child. This is his story. The newness of life you get to walk in is the beauty of what he has done. And that is what we're celebrating, this life and this abundance. 
And so it's that when we celebrate that, we should have been objects of wrath. But now we come out of the baptismal waters and we come out of new birth. And all of a sudden, we are objects of mercy. Now, I was in an interesting conversation years ago, and the person was saying, you know, what is the least you need to do to be saved? And so it's an interesting thought. You know, the Bible, if you read scriptures, the shortest verse is probably believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Um, if you look at the thief on the cross, he, in his last days, uttered to Jesus, you know, like, remember me. And Jesus says, today I will remember you in paradise. And that's the problem with salvation is so many people kind of have this like, what is the least I need to do to get saved? How can I live my life the way I want and have my newness of life and everything that I think will make my life feel awesome and new and great? And then at the end, I will just, I will kind of book a ticket to the other new life. And then we've totally missed the point of what new life should be. New life is about the daily expression of, of Eden in your life and in your heart, the way God intended it. And if you become a Christian later in life, that is wonderful and it's still a celebration. But the true celebration is living our lives in a totally different way here on earth too and then looking forward to eternity where it will not be unbroken. But every day when we walk with Jesus, that newness that he offers us, that is the anchor for our hope. And that is the way to look at salvation of I get to do life differently. I think about things like marriage or other significant relationships, having kids. There is a beauty around the day. There is something special about that first day when we become believers. There's something super special about baptisms and what we're going to celebrate. But the celebration never stops there. We celebrate relationship every single day when we have those people in our lives, even when they push our buttons. But we we get to enjoy, and that is the newness of life, that every day I have life with Jesus. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so God's intention for your life is not just that you survive it and that you just make it through because there's something better on the other end. That life to the full is something he offers us today in our walk with him. And so there are also things that, that can kill that and can rob us of enjoying the new life. And once again, that image of the the riverbed, the dry riverbed, and the bones, and all the debris that gets collected. What are those things that can block us from experiencing new life? Because you might say right now, that's great what you're saying, it's not my experience. And we're going to be pushing a bit more into that in the series and looking at some specifics. So I'm just going to touch on them fairly quickly, but it does help us to understand what God is calling us out of and into. And the one is that sometimes we're not experiencing new life because we've lacked growth. And I was speaking at Station 18, which is like our grade 6 to 10 group, and we were speaking about salvation. And I said, often the problem with giving your life to God as a young person and then kind of growing up in church and community is that we stop growing. I said, guys, imagine if you went to a rugby match or soccer. Now you're first team of your school in high school. And they start, they blow the whistle, and you start playing like a bunch of grade ones. You know grade ones, like they all huddle around the ball, they want to be the next hero, they have zero skill and think they're awesome. And you see this happening on the field, and you're like, it's such a disaster. Imagine everyone would just stop and laugh, because there's this expectation of growth. 
That is the pattern that life goes, that as we mature, we should be growing. So sometimes we don't experience new life because we have stopped growing. The Bible says, speaks about things like sanctification. It's what happens in your life after you've given your life to God. The Bible speaks about things like adding to your faith, to grow in knowledge. It says to pray continually, and things like working out your salvation. It's a, it's a growing process. And there's a lady that I love that just inspires me because I think sometimes we think we get to a point and then we give ourselves permission to just weaken in so many areas and, and all permission to chirp from the sidelines because now we know everything. So maybe we, we're on the game, but we think we know everything about the game. And this lady, she's in her 80s now, and her name's Joan, and she decided to do bodybuilding when she was about 75. And her body has transformed. As far as 80 years go, she has a magnificent body. It is strong. You can see her confidence. And she just went against the grain of, actually, you retire, you go downhill, and, you know, you just kind of wait to die. And this lady's going, I just want to get stronger. And she's showing that, actually, you can. You don't always have to believe what the world tells you, that it's just downhill. You can still maximize where you're going, and she's still growing. And I find that so inspirational, because sometimes we give ourselves permission to plateau or decline. And so we need to stop doing that in a spiritual sense. We need to become the bodybuilders in the faith. Then sin can often be a factor. And we're going to push into this a bit later in the series, but I just want to point out the consequences that... When we come to this newness of life, that sin can rob us of the joy. And we see in Psalm 51, and it's a well-known psalm from David, and it's almost like when I was reading it, I was considering the fact that it's actually a very intimate psalm. You think everyone's trying to get their hands on a royal family diary so that they can spill it and leak it into the news. And, And this is a king's confession. And look at the impact of sin on his heart and think of it in light of newness because it seems like his life has got stale. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do you see how he asks, restore to me the joy of your salvation. What you have given has leaked out of me and I need you to fill me again. And that's the consequence of sin. And sometimes we even get weighed down and we think it's impossible to break cycles for God to see us any other way. And that is not what sin is. I was chatting to someone about, I was just feeling despondent, actually even just in my parenting, and that was how the conversation had started, of I sometimes wonder if I've damaged my kids for life. You know, I'm like, oh, your kids aren't grateful, you know, you're not appreciating the food, and and all of a sudden I'm wondering if they're never going to be able to eat food properly again, and all of that. And what gave me peace in this, but also actually I started to consider it in my relationship with God, is the whole idea of rupture and repair in relationships. That when relationships are significant to us, we are going to rupture. In our humanity, we will always have brokenness. And we shouldn't be beating ourselves up or thinking we need to stay in that state. And this is what it's always going to look like. 
there's a brokenness, but the importance is that there's a repair. And that is actually the cycle that we need to be in. I am not perfect, but I need to keep going back and repairing, asking for forgiveness, confessing, going before people that I've offended, and then most importantly, going before God. Where there's damage in relationships is where we rupture, 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 and we never repair. That is when a relationship goes downhill. And if we think of it, that our relationship with God is so incredibly beautiful because we rupture, but he made the way of repair. So only relationship like that where it's the repair and the answer comes from God. And I rapture again and I come to him and I'm like, Lord, I've blown it. Help me. And that is what we do until all things will be made completely new. But we mustn't let sin stand in the way of coming to God and asking for that repair again. Then another thing is wrong thinking. When we become believers and not letting God transform our thinking. And so although we believe things and we believe the Bible is the word of God, we seem to think it's better fitted for other people. So I don't have a problem giving someone else advice about their faith, but I don't feel like it's for me. Because I'm not worthy, because I'm battling with these issues. And that's where if I can give Sharon the, the um, where is Sharon? Sharon here, I thought I saw it. There, there we go. The course, I, the name has just escaped me. Fresh Start. That is where Fresh Start is such an amazing tool because it really helps with us of just going, God has got a different way of thinking for you and helping you to realign those neural pathways. I don't know if you've ever watched any of those clips where body language experts take an interview and they unpack what the person is saying but then what their body is really telling us. And the theory is that the body actually gives away more secrets than what the person is saying. And it's crazy because they'll kind of speak over it and you'll see famous people getting interviewed or or criminals about a case and, and then they're speaking about what actually is happening in their heart. And that's really, I think, how God sees us. He's seeing us saying these things, but there's another message that's going on in our brain and that is what he wants to transform. He wants to give us right thinking. And then closely linked to that is following other people's lies. You know that from the start, the devil was throwing in lies and just mixing up and half-truths of the gospel. And we need to be aware that that can also rob us of life, those watered-down messages that people give, the lies, the twisting of the gospel. And that can rob us of our joy. And in the troubles of this world, if you think about it when... When we speak about this abundant life and the newness of life, and we go, yes, but you don't know what I've experienced. You don't know what I've gone through, and if you only knew. And that is something that we have to grapple with as Christians. We can't explain away the scriptures that are there when God says who he is and what he has for us. But we know there's also these other realities. And that can sometimes kind of put our head in a different place and once again go, I just need to survive this life and just get to eternity it wasn't his intention. And we see a beautiful picture of this in the, in the story of Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. One of Jesus' closest friends has died. And there's pain that these sisters feel. And they've called for Jesus because they know what Jesus can do in a situation. They know what he can bring and he hasn't bought it. And then you see these scriptures, and I think when we read it, we don't really even get the heart of it until you've maybe experienced a loss and a death, what these sisters were going through. And if Jesus had only come sooner, if he had made that trip, if he had only been there, 
And then you see what I would only describe as a beautiful, almost like a verbal dance as they speak to each other. And they come with their heart and they're like, Jesus, if you were only here, things would have been different. If only you had done that. And we all have our if onlys. If only things were different. And I can't tell you how God has planned your life and what he is doing, but to give him the space to do it. To not fall away on account of things that don't seem like they were answered the way you wanted them to. And then you see Jesus weep. His heart is saddened too. So not to think that in those moments of absolute pain and grief that he's not feeling it. But he comes through and he comes with that abundant life. And I think there's this unhealthy culture of everything needs to be awesome for my faith to grow, to know that God's hand is on my life, to know that he's got a plan. When you see him working in so many different ways through scripture and through history. And then there's this whole idea of religion. And religion can stop us from experiencing newness of life. And by religion I mean I work to save myself. And it's also one of those subtle switches because in our humanity we always want to know what we can do. Because this is so awesome, what can I bring to the mix? And when, when we get to this point, we are putting too much emphasis on who we are and not enough on God. And I'm going to give you the most stupid illustration you'll ever have heard me give, but it makes the point, so forgive me. But as I was contemplating this, and just I stopped at this point, I was doing prep at home, and my dog was next to me, and so I started to scratch his stomach, and I just took a bit of a brain break, and I started scratching, and he just went from lying on his side just to like total surrender, arms in the air, and I started scratching his belly, and he's like an old dog, so he started like, like loving it. And I thought, what makes this moment so special? And I thought... I'm scratching the dog where only I can scratch. He can kind of go to the side and scratch if he's itchy, but to reach his stomach, his paws were not created to scratch his tummy. And I don't know if you get where I'm going with this, but we were not created to fulfill our own spiritual needs. God can touch us where only he can touch us. And the problem is that we try and we think that that satisfaction can come in other ways, or I have to. When actually, in some ways, we have to be the dog, and that's the stupidity of it. Just rolling over and let God be God. And then a funny moment happened straight after that because he's also quite an anxious dog. And so then he just quickly rolled after a moment. Something made him, like, jumpy, and he just actually kind of, like, went to knock me away and jumped up, and, and the moment was over. And I thought, well, that wrecked a beautiful illustration. And then if you think about it, that is exactly the point of it. That all of a sudden, when we think I can do it myself, or something's making me anxious, something hits that nerve, and I jump out of the presence of a beautiful tummy tickle and the dog's experience. But more significantly, when I things strike a chord, and all of a sudden I jump out of the presence of God and what he has for me and the best. And so there needs to be this total surrender. Sometimes it took, and I don't know why, but God chose a woman at a well, a down-and-out woman who was absolutely looking for, for water to drink in her own company because she was unloved. And that was the person Jesus spoke to about eternal life and the water that he could offer. And they were around in that community very well-put-together religious people. But the difference is it was people who thought they could do it in their own strength that they could give themselves their own glass to drink, their own cup of water. And that was the problem. We need to come thirsty. 
And so what does God offer instead in this new life? And I've got three very simple pictures to end with. And that is, um, you know, there's firstly the way that we step into relationship. And that is crucial, is that we know that we are saved. Because if we aren't, this does all become just a salvation of works where we have to tick off some things. But once we've stepped into that relationship, there's a beautiful picture that I want to offer you. And so it's three. Shelley threw in some alliterations last week, so I'm carrying on with it. A prophecy of provision, a parable of a pearl, and a picture from Paul. And that's just three things I want to offer you about new life. If you feel like your riverbed is dry and you just want God to do something new, this is what I I offer to you. And the prophecy of provision is that we can, we can often feel like God doesn't care about every part of our lives. But the first thing I need to know, if I can really trust God, is that he really cares about me, about Jolene, about every part of me. Because we kind of we can sometimes separate and think, God cares about my soul. He wants that to get to heaven, but none of this matters. And that's what was taught sometimes in churches back in the day, of just, it's just your soul. But God really cares about who you are about your emotions, your body. And I don't always know why some people don't have a plate of food to eat and that sort of thing. But when we see God's abundance, we know that it is on his heart. So those things aren't in his will for our lives. But when we look at something like this, we see this picture in Joel coming out is a perfect provision. It's God coming into every aspect of life and tenderly caring for his people. And you can just see this abundant life coming through. Joel 2, surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The, fr- the threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay for you, um, I, re- I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarms. So strange, but locusts from every direction basically to me, that just conjures up an image of, of every bad thing, every pain that you've experienced, every hurt, every deep longing, I can restore. Um, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then they will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And that is also what we look for in eternity of just going, we'll never experience that shame again. We'll never experience that hunger. But then it says, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, 
there will be deliverance. And the Lord has, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors who call on the name of the Lord. And so this isn't just like this apocalyptic timeline, although it does speak into some of those. But what it is, is also just this beautiful mural or artwork of God's abundant provision. This isn't weak and wishy-washy words. It's just going, I care about you. I care about you. I care about every aspect. I'm the God who sees. I see everything. I see the locusts from every single direction. There's nothing that has happened to you that God hasn't seen or cared about. And he wants to restore you. And every day as we open the door, and today it's coming to church and we are here, that is evidence of God's provision in our lives and his abundant love for you. So that is a reason for us to just get involved in a deep clean and keep pushing into this, walk into those dry riverbeds and throw out the old and in with the abundance, the spring rain just coming to bring it all and make it new. And then the parable of the pearl, and this is a very simple one, Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. And the picture there is going, he finds this pearl of great price, something that is so incredibly valuable that he releases everything else from his hands to hold on to this. And the problem with walking in newness of life is we often try and still grab things to throw in this hand. And before we know it, if you've seen kids who just fumble around and can't hold on to things, and and all of a sudden we let go of what is in this hand and the pull has dropped out because we're trying to grab other things with this hand. And maybe there was a time where you sold everything and you you hold, hold on to that pull, but now all of a sudden it's lost its value to you. In the Bible, over and over again, there are these pictures of people who found the pearl of great price and let go of everything. A few of them, Abraham. Abraham, sacrifice your only son, the son that's in this hand. Take him and give him to me because you've got a pearl of great price. And Abraham walks in obedience. Abraham, leave the land, this good land, this place, and go somewhere else. I've I've chosen something better for you. And Abraham takes a walk of faith because he's holding this pearl of great price. Noah, build an ark. (laughs) Like, let everyone else laugh at you. I saw this thing like Noah was a conspiracy theorist until it started to rain. Um, But yeah, (laughs) you all have conspiracy theorists. But but it was, it was that whole thing of people are going to laugh at you. They're going to go, what on earth are you doing? Because nothing like this has ever been built before. You're going to face shame and scorn. But you found the pearl of great price. Moses, lead the people. You, you stutter, you can't even talk properly and you don't have leadership skills. And actually you've got some sort of privilege here because you were adopted into the royal family. You, you're kind of known here. But now kind of lead, lead these people out. Go against everything because you found a pearl of great price. Joshua, take the, take the baton. You're the next leader. Lead people where they're giants in the land. There's something so big about the situation you're going to find, but there's a pull of great price in your hands. David, let, let go of your sin. Let go of what has defiled you. You king, you could carry on in your sin and do this again because you're king, but let go of it because you found a pull of great price. Elijah, walk the lonely road of a prophet. You're going to be scorned. You're going to go against people. You're going to have people coming up against you. You're going to be so exhausted that you want to die. 
But carry on because you've got the pearl of great price. Let it all go. And in Jesus, leave the presence of God, your heavenly Father, and everything that's so good about it to just taste what's going on on earth and then sacrifice your life because the pearl's going to open up in everyone else's hand when you do that. And he obeys. And so you see that the call is big. It's to let it all go for the sake of the pearl and the value of the kingdom that you can hold in your hand. That is a high calling. It's a beautiful calling. And it's a daily calling. Every day walking in newness of life. Putting that pearl there again and going, nothing compares to what I have in my hands. Nothing compares. And then the last thing is just a picture from Paul. And here he just says, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, he just speaks about, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation, your new creation, the old has gone, has come and the new has gone. The new is here. And then not only as you step into it, but then he calls us to be ambassadors. Because once you have this pearl of great price, you then go and you tell everyone else about it. And that what is what he says is don't stop with the for me. And this is why we're calling everyone to, to a deep clean is firstly because we know God has something better for everyone here. He has that newness, but we also believe as a congregation and as his hands and feet and ambassadors, he's calling us to this. And that is that picture that Paul gives. So I'm just going to be closing in prayer. And those that are getting baptized, while I'm closing in prayer, you can go and get changed. And we're going to transition into a worship time. But I really just want to pray for anyone here who just feels like they're lacking that newness of life. We know it's something that God is offering us every day for every believer. And what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for newness of life, Lord. As we step into salvation, but that it doesn't stay there. That your steadfast love never ends. Your mercies are new every morning for everyone. And so we praise you that there's no one here that is beyond your reach. But Lord, for so many of us, we feel like we've lost that newness of life. And whatever we need to do to take that step and hold on to that pull, whatever we need to look, let go of, Lord, I pray that your will will be done. Thank you for this abundance that you offer us, Lord. Thank you for the newness of life and for every promise that you give us in your word. Amen.